fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my co-hosts. Oh, <laughs> that's me. You're, that is partially you and also partially someone else. <laughs> um, okay. I'm Chelsea Hollowell. Uh... Somebody who just wants to get some goddamn sleep, and I'm willing to go in hard and go ask a gin for some help. That's a that's just a big ask. Done. You yeah. really must want to sleep. Yeah, it's it's making me a little loopy. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Oh, I know. <laughs> and uh, I'm Jack Olander, uh, the former mayor of the town. Yeah, these days uh, I'm the juice man. <laughs> I bring juice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like a, a public service you're offering then. You really are a civil servant. Uh, it's only to one per one person, actually. But, uh... Oh. Uh, and she's kind of controlling the whole town, you know, but... Yeah. Oh, awkward. But, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, today we have another one of our Satire TV mini-episodes covering The Witcher... This week, we're going to be doing episode five, Bottled Appetites. But because it's a Witcher episode, that means we must have a special guest with us. Hey, special guest, do you want to introduce yourself? It me again, Casey, the uh, just casual orgy goer. <laughs> I mean, as long as it's casual. Very yeah. casual. Are you uh, the only one there that actually knew there was an orgy going on? <laughs> I'm going to say that I'm the only one that actually didn't need to be enchanted because there is some questionable consent in this orgy scene. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, there is. We're going to be talking about that amongst other things. Yeah. But I was kind of hoping that at least one person there was just going to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know what's up. Like, yeah. don't, uh, no sweat. Yeah, like, guys, <laughs> Why is everyone I, going? I thought we all knew about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm immune to enchantments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's another witcher just like, yeah, don't mind me, buddy. <laughs> or he's like, oh, yeah, oh, I was totally mind controlled. Oh, this is getting... This is getting problematic very quickly. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we are gonna, we are gonna segue out of this. I just bring juice, all right? I just do juice. <laughs> That's where my purpose begins and ends. <laughs> it's good to have a job. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Well, guys, we better uh, do a quick summary of what happens in this episode, just so everyone remembers, even though I think the orgy episode is probably enough context, but... <laughs> Maybe just, like, for people who haven't watched in a little bit, we should go over some other things that happened. Some key takeaways, as it were. Yeah, so here's a summary for the Witcher episode, Bottled Appetites. In this episode of The Witcher, Geralt and Jaskier hurt themselves by awakening an ancient evil while trying to fight off sleep and lust. <laughs> Meanwhile... Oh my god, what's her name again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we gave her to Casey. <laughs> the whiner. The wh- yeah, the whiner. Yennefer tries to have a baby with a genie or a djinn. And then in another timeline and part of the world, Nilfgaard hires a changeling assassin to go 
find Siri? Question <laughs> mark. I mean the 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 changeling really just wants to eat her, but uh, the Black Knight really doesn't like that plan. And uh, in another part of the world, in the same timeline, <laughs> Siri is still in Broccolon Forest with the Dryads. And the Dryads are trying to decide what to do with their young charge when suddenly Mousak returns. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. And that is our brief summary of Bottled <laughs> Appetites. So why don't we get into it, guys? I feel like that actually is the entire summary for what happens with Siri and Nilfgaard. Like that's Pretty it. Much. the it. <laughs> yeah. This episode is ninety five percent, Geralt and uh, and Yennefer. I, I think the changeling or the the Doppler. I think the Doppler gets more screen time than Siri in this episode. I agree. It's true, and I actually love the Doppler. Oh, they, let's talk about it. They are super cool. Uh, they're a great villain, you know? Normally, um, I don't like villains that, like, take on the appearance of one of the heroes. It I, usually annoys me. Yes, me too. I usually hate that. It just frustrates me in, to no end. I I don't know why I hate it. It's because I don't it's like, like the it when... like ultimate betrayal. Yeah. I don't like it when people who are friends fight and hurt each other and <laughs> they look like the friend and right. so other people think it's their friend doing this stuff to them and i don't like it but um so the doppler is a cool villain though they super creepy they yeah they are they have no modesty which kind of makes sense because they change their form all the time and so they probably they seem to be an ancient being too and um we get a lot of lore about them through the dialogue and through what happens to Mausak, unfortunately. Oh, poor Mausak. I feel like they also have some sort of almost weird sexual interest in the yeah. like application of bodies. I, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. You know, like but, as they pick up a body and they try it on, it really seemed quite sexual. Like they're almost, I guess it's like autoerotica. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know what? You're you're making me realize that we can link the Doppler and Yennefer, at, because you're touching on one of the main themes of this episode: uh, the interplay between pleasure and pain. Yeah. Which actually feeds into a larger theme, but we can like tease that and get into it later. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to tease that one out because I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> well, pain is the experience of unpleasant discomfort. No. <laughs> okay. Mm. Not that literal. <laughs> oh, sorry. So yeah, what you were saying with the Doppler feeling this kind of autoerotic pleasure in the pain of changing into other forms and they seem to love to inflict pain on others they truly enjoy it like when the, they kill Mausik they're 
doing oh, it as God, slowly yeah. as possible. It is like I, they really want to savor the moment. Yeah, it's a disturbing scene where yeah. they are just like eating up the scene of murdering Mausak, yeah. and it is very sexualized in. The I just think it's really interesting. Like they're sadistic, but not in like an aggressive torturing kind of way. At least I don't know. It's different from other sadistic villains that we've seen in other media even different from the ones we've seen in this show because they seem very gentle yeah. and soft-spoken yeah and not very aggressive and that's just so fascinating to me and the way they think of themselves in the plural is very interesting mm -hmm. yes we they always refer to themselves as we or our a collective identity yeah I now my only my only issue with the Doppler besides being a homicidal psychopath <laughs> is they really shame uh Mausak's appearance but I mean I think Mausak's a good-looking guy Silver Fox Yeah, real silver fox. So I I think that <laughs> their disappointment at taking over Mausak's body is not I I think that's not I don't I don't like it. <laughs> they wanted to hold on to the fair. hottie for a little bit longer though. I mean sure, but Mausak's a snack. <laughs> no snack. <laughs> yes. I was gonna say. I mean, they said that they like children or like young ones, and I feel yeah. like the reason they didn't want to go into Malsack's body is partly probably because they maybe thought, you know, he's not attractive. But I feel like the main part is just that he's older, and yeah. they seem to be very interested in youth and youthfulness yeah yeah the body they've taken over is like a you know very traditionally attractive uh like hairless male <laughs> body like adonis type figure yeah right and hairless when, like on the body like he it, has head head hair it's interesting with the clothes because when they take on mausik's form they also adopt his clothing yeah i didn't know what was up with that or how that works i know and it seems like they can continuously mold and shape themselves and they keep i don't know if they need to keep the organs and body parts of their kills in jars to like help reshape themselves or if it's just more of like a serial killer it seems more fetishistic like um trophies of their kills type yeah. of thing yeah i was wondering that too because in lost girl there is the Jen or something, the body jumper. And yeah. Oh, yeah. they jump into bodies and they can't stay in a body too long. They only jump into dead bodies and they can't stay right. in a body too mm. long because it is still decomposing and they will ultimately end up dying in the decomposing body if they stay right. in it. So I, it made me wonder if there's a similar mechanic to this guy, if there's like um you know if this body double body jumper type person or plural persons um <laughs> yeah uh if they when they put on a person if there's like a time limit to it yeah it seems like Possibly. they're doing more of a like actual transfiguration where their body changes to that of the person who's 
form they're taking, but yeah. I mean, there could be a time limit of some kind. We yeah. see their flesh ripple and, and shift and change as they're turning into Mausik. Now, something that was interesting is the Doppler says that they also gain all of Mausak's memories. That's right. And, like, they know his intimate thoughts, like, perfectly, like, even from yeah. that morning. Yeah. They know exactly what he was thinking that morning. Yeah. About trying to kill himself. Yeah. yeah. He didn't want to be used to hurt his family and friends. But unfortunately, a proximation of his body is going to be used to hurt the oh. people he cared the most about. Yes, it's true. But so... There is a Spoilers connect- for the end of the episode. There are so many themes wrapped into this because with this, we're continuing the theme of who is the true monster here, right? Mm-hmm. There's the theme of... The Doppler. <laughs> yes. There's the theme... But also man. ...of pleasure in pain and pain in pleasure. And that links to a theme of the cycle of abuse and pain. And th- this all links through to Yennefer. In her timeline... Which actually meets up with Geralt's now, which is cool. Ooh. A real meat cute moment coming? <laughs> kind of. Uh. Um, <laughs> we can get to that. But uh, in, her, in the beginning of her storyline, we'll say, in this episode, she's in her room talking to Taseya, the rectress. And she's kind of teleported into Yennefer's rooms. And she's trying to convince her to basically turn herself over to the Brotherhood of Magic so that she can seek a path of redemption. And Taseya basically tells her that she wants to groom her to take her place as the main um, like teacher or professor of new young mages. Basically the head of the mages college. Is that, is that what she said? I, d- I didn't pick up on that. She says you could teach the new generations of mages at Aratusa. And so we kind of thought that that meant that she either, I mean, eventually she would, uh, to say would have Yennefer replace her. But Yennefer doesn't really pick up on that. She just thinks to say is trying to control her. And she's not entirely wrong. There's a, there's a lot with that conversation that I thought was interesting because... Tosea points out that Yennefer has a bit of this like inflated ego and she tries to offer her this opportunity because as we remember Yennefer abandoned the king that she was working for so basically she like wiggled her way onto the court of a king that she wanted to be on rather than the one that was appointed to her and then she abandoned him when yeah. she was tasked with uh, watching over his wife and his baby, and then, you know, they got murdered by an assassin that was sent by the king, and Yen was like, I'm out. Fuck all this shit. I'm out. And like, that- <laughs> Well, she did try to save the baby, but... Yeah, but, it, like, that was a huge embarrassment for the Brotherhood um, that made them look bad. Uh, so obviously she's kind of like a, a scorned witch at this point. She's living on the yeah. fringes. And Tasea is trying to offer her this opportunity. And Yennefer yeah. perceives this as like Tasea asking for her help. And is like, I did not ask for your help, but you of all people would do that, wouldn't you? You would turn this offer for my help into like me begging for your help 
And I thought that was interesting that um, Tosteo straight up calls her out on her kind of inflated ego where she's like, yeah. can you not just understand that people are trying to fucking help you? This I is- think she can't, actually. <laughs> yeah. And this is when Tosteo points out to Yennefer that Yennefer loves pain. And mm-hmm. Yennefer says, no, I inflict pain on others. And mm-hmm. Tosteo says, it's interesting that you think there's a difference Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we see time and again that yennefer does inflict pain on others she tries to hurt others as she was hurt it's this whole cycle of abuse Mm -hmm. uh she was a victim early in life and she is now victimizing others because it's this internalized thing about wanting to be in control yeah and and be the one who has power. And she learned early on that when you have power and control, that's the way you use it. Mm-hmm. And so she is just continuing this cycle of abuse. And we see this repeat later on in the bathtub scene between Geralt and Yennefer, where she's perfectly content to be like looking at his scars and everything. And, and he's like, oh, like, do you want to hear the stories about them? And then... When he calls her out on it, she's like, oh, no, I, I'm not interested in that. But as soon as he starts talking about her scars, that's when she starts to kind of shut down and, and doesn't want to, like, continue this line of questioning. Because he notices her uh, scars on her wrist from when she tried to commit suicide when she first got to Aratusa. She's uncomfortable being vulnerable. And she yeah. th- thinks that that would make somebody weak. Right. Yeah. So also Yennefer inflicts pain in the ways that she hurts others with her words, but also she coerces people in many of the episodes we've seen into doing things they wouldn't otherwise do. Mm-hmm. She she uh, charms Geralt into exacting revenge against her enemies in the town. She charms a room full of 50 people or more to have a giant orgy. <laughs> Non-consensually. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's debatable, yeah, whether there's consent or not. It's also very unclear how she even got into this. It's I'm so confused how she even got well, there. So she was she was administering magical Viagra in her little yeah. mage's shop yeah. because she at the beginning of the episode she talks to the alchemist who's like Oh, you could go like start your own little business and you know, you'd you'd be doing okay. So she does that and she knows that magic has been banned or at least regulated by the mayor. And when he shows up, she's just like, Oh yeah, go ahead and take me in, knowing that she can basically she's getting to the point now where she can use magical concoctions to control people's minds yeah it just, yeah i guess so he went to like i guess kind of arrest her because she was doing like illegal magic without the biggest thing is that illegal she's, boner magic she's supposed to be paying a tax to him and right. she wasn't so it's not even necessarily that the magic was illegal it's that like she wasn't paying a tax to him Right. And she's like, okay, yeah, sure, arrest me. And then she just, like, enchanted everybody there, I guess. And then just, like, yeah. lived in the mayor's house and made everybody bang. Which I didn't understand why she even made everybody, like, have an orgy. Because she's not a particularly, like, sexual human being. It doesn't... It, it does, Like, she wasn't engaging. Well, she in, is. <laughs> well, she wasn't engaging in the orgy, and it didn't really seem like she cared that much about there being an orgy. I don't read her as, like, sort of a Bacchus character. 
you know? Like, you know, I, I equated it to like, she's just sitting in the living room watching porn, like not really doing anything. <laughs> just kind of staring With her off hands into down nothingness. Her pants. <laughs> <laughs> but not even, right? No. She's just sitting there. Yeah. Just waiting for a juice. Yeah, she's just, <laughs> she's just waiting for that apple juice. Yeah. Yeah. So she is raised up on a dais, sitting on a bed, watching everyone. She's above them. She's the one in control. They're all under her influence. It's a power move for her. It's not really a sexual act for her. Exactly. It's, 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 she's not, I don't read her as being a, 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 like Bacchus Dionysus style. I derive my power from like the pleasure of others. It's more of this, like, I am subjecting others to my, you know, will. Right. And this is, really uncomfortable but i think i don't know how far we need to go with this but the fact that it's all about power for her and that she's coercing people into sexual acts makes it rape in my opinion yeah. i was thinking the same thing. it's magical rape and then rape through coercion uh like not directly but through manipulation yeah yeah, I mean, we're basically... So yeah, this is very similar to the powers that Kilgrave ex exhibits in the Jessica Jones series, where he forces people to undertake sexual acts, and, you know, Jessica in that show accuses him of raping her because of that, and, and you know, I think it's a fair assessment, and we see it repeated similarly with Yennefer here, which is very uncomfortable. yeah. Okay, so Yennefer inflicts pain on others because she has this emptiness inside and she's trying to fill that void by trying to have control over her surroundings and lashing out at others. And she thinks this having this sense of power and control over her life and just having everything that she ever wants herself and focusing on herself will fill that void. That's, this is the way I interpret it anyway. And um, that seems she, she keeps repeating several times in this episode how she wants everything. I was yes. actually going to say that I had that written down as well, because I have been saying repeatedly, like, what does she even want? What does she want? And and I, I think that her saying I want everything kind of is a cue that she does not know what she wants because yeah. she, she wants it all, but she doesn't really know what all is she just wants all of it well and the thing she seems to want the most is to get back what was taken from her when she transformed in her body and that's the ability to bear children because that's like her one wish that she wants to use this genie for basically i mean she wants the power but it's intimately tied to her perceived issue with not being able to bear children. Yeah, but Tissaia calls her out on that, yeah. just like uh, Casey was talking about in the last episode where we all got together. Mm -hmm. And Tissaia was saying, like, do you even want a child? What is this really about? Yeah, yeah I mean, I and think it's like a control thing. Yeah, too. and that's when Yennefer says, "I want." that's one of the times when she says, I just want everything. Yeah, exactly. I noticed that too. I was like, finally, somebody asks her, like, are you sure yeah. you even want this? You know, yeah. and I I think everybody kind of knows that while having someone take away a part 
of your choice is devastating. I don't think that Yennefer particularly wants children. I think she just wants everything. Like she said, she, she wants it all, but when she has it, it's never good enough. And she's never happy with it. She's never truly satisfied. Yeah. Like, I think also in this episode, we see Yennefer basically after having, like, run away from the king and deciding she's going to go off and do her own thing. She's been living kind of as this, like, rogue mage that's been living off the grid in a way. And she's, like, not approved anymore by the Brotherhood of Mages. Um, and the guy who she buys her, like, uh, I guess, like... Apothecary goods? Well, he's not, it's not just apothecary goods. He makes it clear that he is selling her the, like, remedy that she needs in order to, like, heal her womb. Yes. And he's like, you know, just a few more treatments and you should be good. And obviously, like, I think everybody kind of knows that this is a load of bullshit. And he's like, yeah, kind of uh, he he's trying to extort more money out of her, too, because he keeps increasing his prices. Um, yeah. But he says to her, you know, like, you can make like a pretty decent amount of money being a mage like I am, you know, where you sell your services and, you know, you help people out. And he talks to her about this opportunity to live outside of the Brotherhood's purview. Um, And she takes umbrage with that as well, because she doesn't want to live within the Brotherhood's uh, control. She doesn't want to be a court mage because she thinks that that's not good enough for her. Um, And then I think, you know, we discussed last time how she should consider trying to go and do her own thing and become a powerful yeah. mage in her own right, living outside of the confines of this, like, really toxic structure. And this mage literally suggests to her that. And she's like, she thinks that she's too good for that. Like, she thinks that, you know, being a fringe mage is, like, too undervalued and, like, that's, like, some lowbrow shit. And I'm like, girl, you need to figure out what you want because you don't want to be with the <laughs> Brotherhood and you don't want to not be with the Brotherhood. Like when Taseya shows up and is like, yo, the Brotherhood could take you back and we could figure something out for you. She's like, no, fuck those guys. I hate you guys. And I'm like, I, I, but you don't respect people who make their living outside of the Brotherhood either. And it's like this weird thing where she wants everything, but nothing is ever good enough. She does, like, start doing a little bit of that. And, you know, she's helping people. She gives that guy a a real boner. And it sounds like (laughs) he wasn't able to have boners before that. Yeah. She was was actually doing a civil service. He and his wife felt passionately, or girlfriend, felt passionately about each other. And they just wanted to have sex. Yeah, Yen really helped him out. But Mm -hmm. she she doesn't see that work as valuable or meaningful. She sees that as a means to an end. She sees that as a way to get money so that she can get what she needs. I mean, I felt like she had actually, like, set it up. Like, she knew the mayor was coming and she had this whole thing planned to like take over the town because that is like the closest we've seen her to being content is when she is just in control of that entire town, town, that whole household. And just like 
sitting there just happy as a clam watching all these people that she's assailing. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of, like, cool with it. I was wondering that, too. I was like, is this a calculated maneuver to, like, take over the mayor's town or something? Because that's a cut above Rogue Mage. It's, it's like, political figure. It is, but it's also, like, she, I think she sees herself almost as godlike. Like, I think she sees yes. herself as being this, like, mm-hmm. god-level powerful mage. And no Absolutely. one treats her that way, and no one respects her as that. And I mean, the, the, way, the way she's framed on, like, the Shea Lounge uh, and, know, yeah. and, like, I mean, I, it reminds me of a Bacchanalian figure. I Honestly, mean, even if she herself is not, like, this... Uh, you know, bringer of pleasure to others. Yeah. Like, she is framed that way in the way she's sitting. Like, yeah. you're gonna ma- I, I can't believe she didn't have a guy fanning her with a, pa- with a palm frond and somebody else feeding her grapes. Yeah. But she's the only one fully clothed there. Yeah, and she has all the power in yeah. that situation. Yeah. But the way we're describing her and interpreting her actions and the things she says really makes her seem like a borderline sociopath with delusions of grandeur to me. <laughs> Which is yeah. accurate. Which is yeah. why I always find it so comical when she like makes a stupid mistake or like yeah. just does the dumbest shit. Like there's a point at the end of the episode where Yen has basically uh, cast a spell to try to entrap the genie inside herself. She wants to be a vessel to hold the genie. And that's going to increase her power. That's, that's all yeah. she really cares about. Well, I, and I'm, I, I feel like she's trying to entrap the genie inside of her to increase her power so that she can regrow her yes. uterus. Yeah. But you know, Geralt kind of points it out as like, I think she just wants to be more powerful, which is really what it is. She just, she's a right. little bit like a maniacally power-hungry person. Um, yes. And uh, she tries to do it. There's like, it kind of seems like it backfires a little bit, and the building that she's in with Girl collapses on them. Well, that's because she thought that... Uh, Yaskier had the genie's yeah. wishes, and sh- uh, wishes, and she was trying to like extract the power through him. But yeah. it turns out that Geralt was the one who had been making the witches, the witches, <laughs> the witchers, the wishes all along because he uh, cursed Yaskier by basically telling him to shut up, and then suddenly Yaskier couldn't speak, and then he tells the other guy that he wants his head to explode or whatever. Yeah. And, well, wish granted, so... <laughs> but yeah, so the her, like, attempt to entrap this genie uh, within herself doesn't work because Yaskier wasn't the one with the wishes. It was Geralt, and he didn't say all three of his wishes. Um, but, you know, th- there's this whole, like, magical showdown thing, and uh, as the building is collapsing on them and everybody's convinced that they have died... You find out that they're just fucking. Well, Yennefer has portaled them <laughs> to a yeah. different location, and Geralt says to her, "Like you couldn't have portaled us out of this shitty town." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, somebody else has an attitude with her dumbass shit too." I love it. Like he's like, "Really? You think you're such hot shit? You couldn't have portaled us somewhere infinitely nicer?" <laughs> 
But she likes it there because she's used to being in control. That was like her little place where she was a god for all intents and purposes in that room. That's really what she wants. She just wants to have that power and control over everything. And if she has it her way, she would become like a Sauron. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, the more I think about this, too, the more I think about, I feel like the biggest reason why Yennefer is, is so desperate to have all this power is that she doesn't have meaning in her life and she doesn't have purpose. And I think maybe she thinks that if she has a kid, it'll give her purpose. I know some people tried to do that, but like a lot of other people know what they want to do and know who they want to be. And she just doesn't know and she doesn't have any sense of purpose. And so she like constantly has this like power hungry draw to like fill this hole in her soul which is like knowing who or what she wants to be i think that's a really good way to describe it because we've been talking about the last two episodes about how she has this void that she's trying to fill and i think you've hit the nail on the head of like why (laughs) yeah and so like you know she she probably feels a little bit good being in that town yeah and thinking like oh i'm so powerful and strong but like i still think she's not happy i mean obviously she's still not happy because she's still setting yeah. out on this like quest to try to like resurrect her uterus yeah i mean she is like taking what she can get and then always looking for the next thing that she can grab by whatever means she can possibly grab it with and that includes taking this huge risk of messing with a very powerful magical being in yeah. the form of the Jin. Yeah. Like something that she clearly does not understand and she does not have a good grasp on the severity of. Yeah. So I don't know how you guys felt about this. This is kind of a bit of a subject change, but personally, I did not feel that much chemistry between her and girl. Like watching their scenes together mostly just felt really painful. He seems like a really sweet guy and she really does she's just i don't know i feel like she's trying so hard to seem like she's a badass bitch and like she you know like she's she's like oh i could manipulate you and take you down and i'm like eh. i mean she does (laughs) She, she, she does a little bit but like i think that like she's just peacocking a lot like she's really trying to flex and it's like girl just calm down you know like it's not charisma it's not it she feels very try hard in this episode yeah it feels like you know every interaction that she has with girl is like very try hard and he is very much like i don't know what you got going on girl but sure i mean i'll do it i just i'm trying to help my friend you know <laughs> i mean he is definitely drawn to her though something about like their shared like they have these shared backstories that yeah. they kind of recount to each other in the bath scene and yeah. that seems to kind of be the basis for why Geralt wants to protect her i mean besides the fact that we just know at this point that Geralt just wants to save people yeah that is his whole deal is Getting paid to do good is fine, and he needs that to live. But you really get the impression that it is more important to him to save than it is to, like, 
re- be rewarded for it. Yeah, he's got. He's also got a big soft spot for anybody that he sees as being someone who like suffered a lot and now is like kind of in this position where maybe they are being a baddie and he yeah. is very yeah. sympathetic to that. I mean, I think that that definitely goes back to Renfrey in the first episode yeah. where he was not mm-hmm. able to save her. And yeah. now like he needs to try to save somebody to make up for literally not being able to save Renfrey and having to be her executioner too and maybe he's focusing that energy on yennefer now because uh she is in serious need of redemption she is definitely turning into a baddie yeah yeah (laughs) she is she really is and he he also i thought it was interesting he mentions that jinns are not evil forces they are only evil when they are in captivity so when they're free they're actually you know not baddies and she's like, "What? Do you, but how do you know that?" And he was like, "When was the last time you were happy when you were in captivity?" And so that—that's obviously meant to be like a callback to all the times yeah. she's been forced in positions she didn't want to be in. Yeah, that seemed to resonate with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my mind, Yennefer is sort of like a dark Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. She dresses the part. Yeah. Exactly. She dresses the part. She has just these gargantuan, colorful eyes, right? Yeah. yeah. And her face is so expressive. It's kind of like you always know what she's thinking. And that's kind of what you yeah. want from actors, right? Yes. That's sort of the point. But when it comes to her character... She's supposed to have a lot of depth, but in my mind, there's no mystery to her. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. Because if the character had no dialogue, it would still be so easy to tell what she's thinking, in my mind. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's clear she's directionless in life. She pushes away everyone who cares about her. Even during that orgy scene, she looks bored. It's like she's watching porn to try and feel something, but nothing is coming to her. Geralt shows up and she's like, well, I guess this is something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even that's, even she says that she, he's like, I brought you the juice, right? Best scene. (laughs) Best scene. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. And she's like, oh, well, you did. And something more, right? Something interesting. And he asks her for help. I think she, is intrigued by that this big muscle guy and he's famous she recognizes him she's yeah, like oh she the knows. famous white wolf let's yes. see about this guy right and so i think the situation is really what caught her attention and Geralt, like you were saying uh casey he's the actually mysterious one out of the two of them yes and he's the one with the real charisma like you were saying yeah. yen was definitely She's such a tryhard. Yeah. Because she doesn't know how to act naturally. <laughs> yeah. I was remembering the first scene where we see Yennefer. When there's just this couple about to hook up in this barn, right? Yeah. And the chick of the couple tosses aside a flower that was given to her as a gift. And Yen kind of tries to present it back. She's like, oh, you dropped your flower, right? Yeah. And which was so nice. That was back when Yen was really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that sort of genuine longing to help another person yeah. or like want to connect with someone. She looks really like happy and warm to be interacting with this stranger. 
And in this episode, I think this might be sort of one of the first times where we catch a glimpse of that side of her again. Yeah, I can see that. Where do you, where do you see that side of her? So I think it's in the bath scene when she's sort of inquiring into Geralt's life more. Like the scenes we were talking about where she's kind of looking into him and she's she's trying to connect to him, I think, in a few ways. Because, again, he has this reputation as a monster hunter. Yeah. And she, I think, sort of sees herself in a similar way. Like you're saying, she sees herself as a god. But she also recognizes that, you know, she gave up a part of herself to become what she is. And she's trying to get that back. On another side of things, she is aware that she's taken people down to get where she is. And she's cast aside a lot of opportunities. I think someone like Geralt, who works so outside the system to live, yeah. really intrigues her. I think so. Because she talks about how other people are boring in that scene. You know, she doesn't well, want to be boring. Yeah, I. Mm -hmm. but I love that, like, you know, he's laying there and, you know, shirtless for no reason. <laughs> of um, course we love, we all love yeah, that. But part. no, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, in the bathtub and she sees his scars <laughs> and he's like, you can ask about them. Everybody does. And she's like, other people are boring. And I was like, bitch, you wanted to ask. Shut up. <laughs> you know, and this is what I mean about Yen being a tryhard. Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm above what other people would do. I'm like, you were definitely thinking about asking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no harm. The scars are really cool all over his body. And the fact that each one has an interesting story, like, it's totally acceptable to ask about that. Well, we, we had to juxtapose Jen against the sex worker from the previous episode who was like, oh, I know exactly where you got this scar from the Bard story. Yeah. So Yen has to be, like, the polar opposite of that. Yeah. It's true. There's a sort of more, like, I guess comparing those two, the prostitute in the other episode was very free and expressive. Right. She didn't hold back at all. Yeah. Yeah. She is like fun loving and she's, yeah, yeah exactly. She's very, very, she's very, uh, liberated. Right. Yeah. She's happy right. and she's like excited to be with Geralt and she's like, oh man, like this is so cool that I'm like hanging out with a famous person. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out in quotation marks. Yeah. It's true. And when it comes to Yennefer, she's like, we keep saying very closed off. I think the things that have given her so far in the series the most satisfaction have come from her relationships with other people. Like, uh, who was the head of Hogwarts? <laughs> Tissaia? Yeah, Tissaia. Early on, she really cared about what Tissaia thought about her. Yeah. Right? She wanted she, to impress her. Yeah, she lied about like making these big leaps in her magical lessons and got reprimanded for it. Yeah. And she kept trying again and again to like strive for a magical talent that she just wasn't ready to produce. Right. Like when she caught the lightning in a bottle, messed it up and then lashed out in anger and tried to hit another student because she was so caught up in trying to prove herself to not only to herself to show that she had her own worth but to Tissaia who is sort of like 
not letting her off easy, really being a brutal push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she claims because she believes in Yennefer, but Exactly. And so Yennefer looked to her for some sort of validation. She was also dating that guy back at that place. <laughs> Artusa. Artusa, what was his name again? Istrid. Istrid, yeah, she was dating him. And she found a ton of satisfaction from her relationship with Istrid. Yeah. yeah. He was showing her all these things he thought she would love. If you remember that scene with the moon jellies on the water, the scent of baked bread, all that sort of stuff. The yeah. warmth of summer. And that was sort of like an exciting way to see the world. She wanted to experience new things. She liked that this person wanted to do that with her. She yeah. witnessed a couple being affectionate in the first episode, and she got to experience that herself. So we know that in the past, she's had this sort of mother figure at Eratusa, who she pushed herself harder in her training to find validation from. And she had this boyfriend figure who she could kind of go to for relaxation and validation because she would try to impress him with her magic as well. At this point in time, since she feels like both of those people from her past betrayed her. Yes. She's not letting Geralt get close to her at all. The second he starts asking questions, like you mentioned, Casey, about the scar thing. Uh, Yeah, she just completely shuts down. Yeah, it's like she doesn't want to talk about her past because that's her vulnerability. But she's always looking for other people's vulnerabilities. With Geralt, literally, she's trying to find out how she can poison him and, like, take control of his mind. Lilac and gooseberries. It's true. But I find it's interesting that she just keeps looking for the part of herself that she left behind. And closing herself off to what seems to have given her the greatest satisfaction so far. Which is like... Relationships. A deep connection. Yeah. 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 I think she sees some potential for that here, but... But yeah, I feel... I feel like the reason why I really struggle with her and girls, like... I don't know, sexual tension on screen is because he seems to be very sure of himself and she seems to be trying very hard as we as we mentioned but it like kind of almost reads as like i don't know almost like a child with with him and it's not sexy to me it's like awkward and embarrassing to watch and so, like, the fact that they, like, inevitably have sex at the end of this episode just seems really jarring for me because, for me, it felt like she was really immature and, you know, almost childish in her behavior. And that's not sexy? Yeah, I I, I can see what you're saying. I think it does have to do with that like shared backstory that I was talking about before though, where he kind of sees maybe a little bit of his past self in her, somebody who's been hurt, somebody who's been scarred literally and figuratively. And like with Geralt, especially like somebody he can save. Yeah. He's, and that is like he's, a big he's thing for him. Savior complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was gonna say, like, I mean, that is just, that's the character. And he points out how they've both gone through 
transformations in the past and how it can be painful. Yeah, he knows that she's gone through an actual physical transformation. Yeah. Because he asked, like, what it was, if it was a clubbed foot or something. And in a later scene, she says that all transformations come with pain. That's part of the process. And we know that the Witcher process is uh, very painful, the Witcher creation process. We also find out in this episode that Eratusa is where some of the uh, mutations are were conducted or like where the mages developed the process that made witchers. So he might be interested in f- trying to find a way to recreate the process because he's kind of disturbed by the fact that no more witchers can be created anymore. It's true. And we know that a lot of the magics that are held at Eratusa are knowledge that was taken from the elven magical stronghold that used to be in this, at the same location. And then it was like changed and manipulated by human interpretation of those magics. Right. So like it could be like an elder form of magic that turns them, that mutates humans to becoming witchers. And he can obviously tell that she's part elven. Yeah. Because of her eyes. And it's just something, like we said before, everybody sees and everybody overlooks. And so maybe he feels that affinity with her, too, of being a mutant, (laughs) being an outsider. Yeah. Yeah, something about her definitely compels him. Um, And, you know, increasingly so as as we see their relationship start to build up. But we won't get too far into that right now. (laughs) It seems like characters in this world, if they have a connection to magic, or if they are actually a different magical, like, fantastical race, they don't really feel this affinity with humans, and they they see themselves as a part. So, like, even if you were a human... Yeah, and if you are a human mage, they still see themselves as a part because of this ability they have it changes them even on a physical level i think that mages are changed physically besides the transformation they go through to make themselves prettier (laughs) right i think it changes them on a fundamental level i mean they are humans that can use magic in this world are born different because they have that connection to the chaos right like there is something different in their physiology or their DNA or whatever it is in this world that like Yen has that natural affinity for this chaos magic. That's partly because she's Elvin. Yeah. Part Elvin. But it is born into people. I think it's, it's that outsider status and shared trauma that kind of draws them together. Now, there's another important uh, thing that's going on in this episode with Geralt when we first see him, he claims that he is trying to deal with a uh, insomnia. He he's lying to Jaskier Wait, about he's not lying? being able to sleep. I didn't know he was lying. I thought he legitimately could not sleep, especially because at the end, after they after he and Yen bone, he passes out. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's probably pretty sure that he's trying to undo the little mistake he made in court. And right. untie himself from the law of surprise. 
Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, because Jaskier kind of calls him out on that when he's fishing early on. He's like, so you're trying to catch a genie to fight insomnia? Are you sure it's not about that whole there's a child fated for you to take care of it thing? <laughs> and he's like, mm. I, <laughs> right, I, you know, as Geralt do. I did what I do, and I believed his words because I think people <laughs> should use their words to communicate what they want and feel. And he's like, yeah, no, I lie about my wants and feelings. And I'm like, well... You know what? But maybe he wasn't lying. Maybe he really was having a hard time sleeping because he knows that he's going to have yeah. the responsibility of, of fatherhood, basically, in a few years. Yeah. And he's like, oh, shit, I got to like figure out a way to undo this because I really fucked up. I should have just asked for gold. Why didn't I ask for the fucking gold? He's an idiot. Well, that is... <laughs> yeah, that is what Jaskier says. He's like, I think your insomnia is really because you're li laying awake at night worrying about this. Yeah, and I, I would too. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Yennefer calls him out on it later in the episode. She's like, bullshit, this is because of sleep problems. Yeah. You're yeah. going through a lot of trouble. This isn't just because you're cranky from not getting a nap. Right. <laughs> I guess you guys are right. I I I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, "This is a lot of effort." Also, it felt very like Monster of the Week to be like, "Oh yes," and then to, on this week's episode, yeah, <laughs> Geralt has insomnia. He's trying to treat. I'm like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> it's the one with the gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just impressed that he was able to get that amphora just, like, by randomly tossing a net into the lake. How long had he been at that? Holy shit. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much with, you know, fate that ties itself throughout the series. And Geralt is, he knows that it's foolish to try to undo fate or to dodge what is fated for you. But he does kind of seem to figure, like, but if I can use magic, maybe that's the way out. Yeah, but it's interesting. There are different definitions of what destiny means, and we get a new one in this episode. The matriarch of the Dryads, she says to Ciri, destiny is like a blade. It has two edges. It usually can fork in between two different main paths you can make a choice and as you own as we all know we all have two swords inside of us and the one we sharpen is the one that uh, defines who we are <laughs> I, I i feel like that i feel like the wise. the swords in Geralt's case or the blade with the two edges was when he decided to do the law of surprise instead of a bucket of gold. <laughs> yeah. And that is where his fork went the other way. Like, it didn't yep. have to go that way, but he made it do that. And Ceres is in this episode. She has the decision to make to stay mm. in Broccolon Forest with the Dryads or to continue her search for Geralt. With her good friend Mausak finally reunited. Yeah, yeah, but before he shows uh, Mausak, quote unquote, before he shows up, she had decided to stay. Yeah, this this frustrates right. me a little bit because uh, this this scene. So basically, Dara, her elf friend, um, yeah. has kind of helped her through a lot of this, and then they show up at uh, Broccoli Forest, and she <laughs> is like, "Where is my friend? We must find my destiny." Da 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 da. 
And, you know, there's this whole, like, sort of meeting with the Dryads about whether or not they should let her stay. And Dara's like, I'm down to stay. And she's like, yeah, okay. And they go through this whole, like, tribunal, I guess, to try to decide if if she should stay. And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll let her stay. And then, you know, fake Mausak shows up and is like, I'm here, Siri. And she's like, oh, okay, let's go, Dara. And she, like, demands that Dara goes with her because she's like, we're family now. But she doesn't take into consideration what he wants at all. Or what would be best for him. She has zero. This is the thing that frustrates me. And I think this is more of her, like, princess privilege. Where yeah. she's used to things like revolving around her. She shows up in the forest in the last episode and just demands, where's Dara? And it's like, girl, <laughs> no one knows who you're talking about. This is not like yeah. your castle where you just get to demand people by name. And in this episode, she's like, okay, Dara, come on, let's go. We're going to go to my my you know kingdom where we already know it's under attack by Nilfgaard. And we already know that her kingdom hates elves. Which Dara is. Yeah. So it's like, it's just very frustrating and it feels very like, you know, Princess Privilege Girl tries to like drag her elf friend along with her into something that he didn't really sign up for. I think that I agree that that part is short sighted. Where I think she is kind of justified in her desire to leave Broccolon Forest is we see at the beginning the dryads are having this big heated discussion and we know because it shows the the uh subtitles in elder that they are basically saying hey we could weaponize this little girl like she's a powerful weapon we well, could yeah. use her to defeat our foes and you know part of the the dryads want to do that part of them are like no she should choose her own fate but siri might not know exactly what they're saying but she knows that she is the center of this contention Mm -hmm. and she probably feels like she is never gonna feel comfortable staying she looks deeply uncomfortable the entire time oh yeah Yeah. understandable There, there are multiple there are multiple things like everybody who meets her kind of seems to instinctively know if they have any kind of connection to the magic or chaos of the world mm-hmm. they can tell that she is something else there there we always get all these hints through dialogue that there's more to siri than meets the eye we've seen it she's like radiating power or something right. but mausak before he's killed he says you don't know what you've done you don't know what she is yeah and mm-hmm. that's really interesting it's like is she like the I mean, I'm speculating because we we don't know. Like, is she some kind of embodiment of chaos or is she a direct conduit or something? It's really interesting well, to she's, speculate. I mean, we do know that she's fated to be with Geralt. So anything that tries to get in the way of that, fate is going to fuck that thing up. Yeah. Because- and make sure that it that that they unite or everything in the universe might come crumbling down seems to be like the general belief around the law of surprise. Yeah. It's like destiny must see itself through. Yeah. But you can, there are branching paths to destiny. There's not always one path you have to walk. And this is um, when Siri and Dara leave with the fake mouse This has some extra tension for the audience because 
he said that children or they said that children are their favorite this is of course the doppler yeah and that they they mentioned that they eat people so i think that children are a delicacy for them yeah and they're they basically said to the black knight oh you want her back alive that's gonna cost you extra yeah gross i know and so there's these two children that think they're leaving with a trusted advisor and friend and it's this creature that likes to eat children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great horror setup. Yeah. Which, again, frustrates me. I mean, I know we know this and, and Siri doesn't, but it, again, frustrates me because she's like, come on, Dara, leave the safety of this place where you like, are accepted and come with me uh, with this man who loves to eat children. And I know she doesn't <laughs> yeah. know that he loves to eat children, but doesn't change the fact that she's like i have a better idea it's not a better idea it's not good for anyone it is not a good plan but that's why it's so painful because like she is so relieved mousat is like her best friend yeah he is the person who she trusted the most who she was besides her proud to work with but yeah. i mean great yeah sure i mean but that is her relation with family but Mausak was like the person that she was excited to be around. He was her teacher. He was and kind like, of like a beloved respect. uncle or bigger big brother or something like that. Yeah, so it's just so painful to see this setup where the Doppler is showing up in literally the form of the person that she feels safest with and has now, we know, the least reason to feel safe around. Even though she doesn't know that, it's still fucked up for her to try to take Dara with her because, I mean, I mean she's like 12 and she's not thinking of it this sure. way. But really, even if it was really Mausik, this is her destiny and path and choice in life. She shouldn't be guilt tripping Dara with this emotional baggage that like you're my family you have to come with me no because she shouldn't be. he would be happier safer and have a better quality of life in broccoli forest <laughs> but I think it's a great point that you know she is like 12 of course she wants and she also just lost her family her and Dara have a very similar very recent history yeah so like, I think it's tough for both of them. It, it puts both Dara and Siri in a really uncomfortable position of choosing. Yeah. Well, guys, we've talked a lot about this episode so far. Uh, we are probably going to wrap up here, but are there any other final thoughts that people want to get to before we finish up? I thought of one quick little thing. Uh, in the last episode, we talked quite a bit about Jaskier and Geralt's relationship. Yeah. About the fact that Jaskier was bathing Geralt. <laughs> That's right. And their buddies, they're all pals. You know how you know how it is. Oh yeah. But uh, bathing your friends. Classic. We all we all have our bathing buddies, right? Yeah. Of course. You know, sometimes you just got to rub chamomile on each other. It's classic. Yeah. Jack, right? that's just the way things were back then. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And uh, 
in this episode, Jaskier is like, oh, Geralt, I haven't seen you in what has it been? Months? Years? Anyway, good to see you again, right, buddy? And there, he's kind of drunk and belligerently pestering Geralt, but Geralt is really concerned for him. And at multiple points throughout the episode, people kind of try to address the nature of their relationship. Yennefer is like, oh, that's your friend, right? And he's like, mm. <laughs> Yeah. And she's like, uh, I, at least I hope that's all he is, right? Right. And she wants like, to bone down. Mm. Right. He won't and I, answer. <laughs> right. And Jaskier at one point is like, oh, we're friends. Oh, what? Are we not using that word still? <laughs> right? And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then Geralt, time and time again, you know, he's trying to get rid of this faded child that he's supposed to take care of. But he keeps saying stuff like, you know, verge of death situation, uh, you know, kind of took priority. And he's prioritizing Jaskier over himself, which I think is very nice. Well, there's a really sweet line he says about how the last thing he said to Jaskier was like exactly. that he wanted him to shut up and go away or something, right? And he just doesn't want that to be the last thing that Jaskier heard him say. And like, I, I think that we know by now, we've spent a few hours with Geralt, like, he puts up this big tough guy front, but what he's really saying is, this is my friend, and I'm very concerned about his well-being. Yeah. Yes. I just like their relationship. I do, too. I thought that was nice. Yeah. I, I wish that Geralt was nicer to Daskier, but, you know, I, I understand that he's got to put up his facade and his whole They'll get there. emotionless witcher thing. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get there. Nice. I think I'm just still excited to see, you know, where Yennefer ends up in her journey for having everything. <laughs> yeah. She'll probably get it all. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially because this is obviously season one. So there are things that even though I know that we've all watched the entire season, we still don't know. And oh, yeah. I am still very intrigued with like, I, I really hope that she will find meaning in her life that will help guide yeah. her. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. I don't want to say too much more, because uh, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> well, you know, what I want to know is what Geralt's last wish was, because oh, he yes. whispers it, and... um. They yeah, I wonder if that's going to come up at any point. Yeah, they don't translate, you know, what he's saying. They The caption was just like, he whispers. <laughs> yes. Whispering intensifies. Yeah, it, that frustrated me so much. And I think it's interesting, too, because we talked about how Yennefer, we said she kind of shuts down anytime she has to be vulnerable. Well, yeah. in a way, I guess... Uh, Geralt kind of shuts down too because yeah. she asks him what was your wish what did you wish for and he's like nah don't worry about it S uh, so snore 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 sorry sleeping can't talk snore yeah. snore <laughs> he basically says long story or whatever he gives her like some BS answer he's like oh, yeah. it, it doesn't matter you know and it's like uh, okay I know he super hard dodge just very overtly not answering her question. Yeah. 
He just holds up a sign with Z's over his head. <laughs> what about what about you, Jamie? Do you have a last thing? Oh, thanks for asking. He's like, shit, I gotta think if I have the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to touch on one more thing. That, I mean, we've we've danced around this, but, you know, a big theme in this episode that I picked out was self-control and what happens when people lose control or are have their ability to, you know, have their inhibitions taken away from them. We see the consequences with Geralt after... Yennefer literally mind controls him to exact her petty vengeance on people. Yeah. And, you know, there's just these other things about people's ability to resist compulsion or to have willpower or what happens when willpower fails. And I thought it was a really interesting way to tie this episode together with all the different moments. You know, I just had a flash of memory Yennefer's face when she realizes that she's snared him under her spell, she looks at him kind of like in a wondering kind of way, like mystified that it worked, but also maybe a little guilty. I don't know. Yeah, I think she really does like Geralt. Yeah. And also there's, uh, you know, the reference to the fact that she used gooseberries and lilac to create the spell for people who know the deeper witcher lore you know nice little nice little nod to some of the other fiction of this world yeah. that takes place in the video games and books so i thought that was neat well on that note we'd like to thank casey for joining us as our resident witcher expert slash fangirl slash best hater <laughs> <laughs> these are all very accurate titles <laughs> Is there anything you want to share before we sign off here, since you're the special guest? Nope. Nothing special. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, for all of you out there listening, thank you, as always, for joining us. And if you want more uh, Swords and Satire content, you can check us out on social media, at Swords and Satire, on Instagram and Twitter, and join the Swords and Satire Facebook group, and you can get memes and announcements of our upcoming movies and episodes. That's right, and if you have a few extra coins, you can toss them to your faithful satirists. We have a Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash satire. We have tons of extra content on there for our patrons, <laughs> months months of content <laughs> hey we got bonus episodes we got rewriting history we've got outtakes and you can vote on the movies that we're gonna watch each month it's pretty great yeah i think it's awesome casey's one of our patrons so that's awesome hey. <laughs> I... <laughs> and if you are not a person who lives in the valley of plenty and you don't have many coins to toss <laughs> Feel free to spread us via word of mouth. Tell all 30 of your friends, minimum, uh, or more. That's and, the low uh, end. If they tell 50 of their friends and they tell 100 of theirs, we'll be big in no time. Oh, boy. <laughs> Seems yeah. like a good plan to me. All right. Well, then, until next time. Hail Crom! Oh shit, Hail Crom!